Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast, your weekly exploration of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters through the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. We continue this week our introduction to the characters published by Quality Comics that would be revived by DC Comics in the early 70s and put together as the team, the Freedom Fighters. Yay! That's right, isn't it? That's what we're doing. It most certainly is. Listeners, we haven't recorded for a couple of weeks, so we're a bit of practice. Of course, I'm saying this. Last night I recorded four episodes of the Power of Three Doctor Who podcast with our friend Kenny Smith, so make sure you're checking that out at the moment. Yes. Yeah, so last week we did... As the crow flies, we did Uncle Sam, and who else did we do? We did Black Condor, and who else did we do? The poem. Yes, we did the poem thing, that's right. This was recorded ages ago, and of course we devoted already an episode completely to the human bomb. Human bomb! The human bomb. But you know all this because you've been listening. We're just saying this to try and get ourselves back in the frame of mind. So this week, we are introducing ourselves to the Ray, Phantom Lady, and Dollman. Starting off with a story featuring the Ray... Originally published in issue 17 of Smash Comics, which is published on the 18th of October, 1940, 10 days before my dad was born. Oh, there you are. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Can you remember when you first encountered the Ray? The Ray? Uh, I think it was in that issue of Freedom Fighters that I caught at the Barras at one time. Mm-hmm. Definitely the first time uh, I saw him. Uh, Bobby yourself? I'm thinking... It was probably issue one of Young All Stars. Ah, if course. he's in issue one of Young mm-hmm. All Stars, I can't remember. See, yesterday I can't remember. Mm-hmm. It might be a Mandela effect of an image of him sort of flying up towards the big giant thingy. Who's at the fight? Is it is it Mekinik the fight at the start of issue one? <sighs> I can't remember because it was a you know I was a committed Marvelite from like nineteen eighty five to nineteen eighty seven listeners, mm-hmm. but when um the shop that I bought a lot of my comics in and Paisley closed, I kind of had to resort to just buying whatever comics I found and there was a couple of paper shops that had a few DC comics, so I briefly read a few DC comics at the time. Before becoming completely committed to the cause of DC a few years later. So yes, I've got a feeling it was either if he's in Young All Stars issue one, it might have been that, but it might have been equally another issue of All Star Squadron that I bought around that time, um and some in the lineups. Mm-hmm. So the Ray, yes, I met him at some point, probably in the mid-80s. Of course, the character eventually became a, a legacy character because you know the version that was his son mm-hmm. was introduced in that very successful miniseries drawn by Joe Quesada yes. in the early 90s. With its ongoing series thereafter, which yeah. is fantastic as and well. He, he was a member of the Justice League for a while and mm-hmm. turned up in Young Justice and still turns up fairly regularly to this day. Mm-hmm. He was a member of one of the Justice League teams in the wake of DC Rebirth. So it's, it's safe to say that the Ray, as a concept and a character, has legs and he's... Um, I'm sure the CW used them, didn't they? Yes, he certainly did. Of course, it was Russell Tovey played them. Yeah, that's indeed. right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Russell Davies' favourite. So yeah, the Ray. We're doing a story, as I say, from Smash Comics. Is Peter going to tell you about the cover to Smash Comics issue 17? I certainly can. We have the Smash Comics logo at the top. It says December, number 17, 10 cents. And it's 15 cents in Canada. Very important. Interesting. Quality do that. They tell you the difference. Great. So, down the left-hand side, we have four little... Diamond panels highlighting characters that are actually featured in this comic. And they are Bozo the Robots, Espionage, Wings Wendell, and Invisible Justice. Frankly, these guys look ridiculous to my... <laughs> Bozo the Robot, yeah, <sighs> Espionage looks a very dapper sort of raffle sort of chap with a monocle and a nice white hat and a neat moustache. And uh-huh. Wings Wendell looks like 
He looks like Spy Smasher, quite frankly. He does a bit, yes, except with more traditional leather as opposed to leather, brown leather. Yeah, and yeah. Invisible Justice. Do you remember the sort of spiders from Paper Play? No. Susan Stranks and all that and Kids TV in the 70s in, in our hometown of Britain. No, nope, I remember. Spa- you don't remember Paper Play? I don't think I've watched that. You're no. older than me as well. Yeah, gosh, well, because that's what you think. It, to my eyes, he's wearing one of the, the cartoon sort of puppet spiders from Paper Play in his head, but it's sort of hood. It was not like. There was a guy called Invisible Hood in All Star Squadron, wasn't there? Yes. There was somebody called Hooded Justice in Watchmen. Uh-huh. So maybe this is who he was extrapolated from. This is the same character as Invisible Hood. Right. See. Uh, it's just kind of like rebranded slightly. Right. So, see. see. Invisible Justice. It's the best kind of justice in they my are. experience. Most of the robot, it's just it's like a generic 1950s style robot. Things it doesn't even look like a robot. I mean, if you coloured him in flesh colours or coloured the, what looks like he's wearing a hat, and you know, it just looked like. <laughs> An unfortunate, really. He looked like a comedy sidekick to one of the actual heroes. Yeah. You know that Metal Man cover with a cake? Oh, yes. Uh-huh. He looks like that guy. Yes, yes, he does, actually. <laughs> there you go. There, there's a deep cut for you folks. There we go. Google but, Metal Man but cake gosh, cover. <laughs> espionage. We'll have to do some deep digging and find out the names of the guys that Espionage fought in case he fought someone called, I don't know, Our Man or Wildfire or The Guardian or Brainiac 5 or something, just so we can do an Espionage story. That'd be epic. Fascinating. You just want to do an Espionage style voice? Yes, well, I do. That's how he talked. He he would talk like Leslie Phillips. Anyway, the main image on the cover is our hero, the Ray. And he is apparently in a kind of a dungeon. There's a round window with bars on it. Yes. And from it, a ray of light is coming in. And funnily enough, the ray is bathed in this. Mm. And he's very dynamically punching a guy in a red jumpsuit who had a gun, but he's punched it out of his hand. But coming up beside him is another guy in a red cloak. And he has a hook for a hand. Yes. Coming up through a trapdoor and with astonishing mm. facial hair and the receding hairline that really needs to just be dealt with. He's a combination of the Doctor and the Master. Yeah. First Doctor, yes. Hmm. It's safe to say that from my memory of rereading this story that this is a bit of a Defenders cover. <laughs> we shall see when we jump in. It's not strictly accurate. Listeners, if you're hoping to read along at home and you own a copy of Superman 252, published in 1972, the 100-pager with the Neil Adams cover with everyone flying, dig that out because the story's reprinted in that. And also, it's available digitally because this, like most of the quality comics of this era, is in the public domain. Of course. Uh, so it's available from, certainly available from Comic Book Plus. It's possibly available from Digital Comic Museum as well. So yes, you can check it out there and indeed read along. Absolutely. It's all the fun. Right, so without any further ado, we shall crack on with the story. Our opening page, it's a large sort of montage panel showing... Do you remember the guy in Delta and the Bannermen, the kind of... Yes. Yes, good... The, <laughs> Played by Brian Hibbard. The kind of 50s elvis almost yes. jazz spiff guy. Yeah, who gets the cliffhanger line in the part one, I don't also just kill for money, it's also something I enjoy, as Doctor Who and, and Rachel sort of cower in the, in the laundry cupboard. We have this guy with his very Elvis-style sideburns and quiff. I mean, he's the sort of guy, frankly, you still see in Glasgow pubs to this day. <laughs> Quite frankly. He does have a sort of chimpanzee look about him, to be honest. Yeah, the lines around his face and all that. He's yeah. very, very veiny looking hands. Mm. It looks very thin. But Elvis must have read Smash Comics 17 when he was reading all those issues of Captain Marvel Jr. Must There's no done. two ways about it. Mm-hmm. This guy dressed in a purple suit with you know interesting patches and a green cravat and this expensive cufflinks and a fancy collar. And he's playing a clarinet and underneath him, there's an image of a lighthouse and what looks like a large ship getting dashed on the rocks and all sorts of stuff. But a caption sets the scene saying... The Ray by Electron. 
Happy Terrell, reporter, while hunting a scoop in the stratosphere, was struck by a bolt of lightning and became transformed to the amazingly powerful Ray. Yep, there you go. That's his caption origin, but I believe the origins of all the Freedom Fighters characters are, are recapped in issues of the Freedom Fighters ongoing, so we'll get to them in more detail eventually. Mm-hmm. Another caption tells us, Police are anxious to track down the Ray. Scientists puzzle over his strange powers. Happy Terrell chuckles to himself as he reads. See, that's interesting. I've always pr- just pronounced it Terrell, but that's me. That's interesting. That's, okay. co- that's going to be another conflict, listeners. Indeed. <laughs> no, potato. But, see, Happy's silhouette as he reads a newspaper, which is a headline that says, $1,000 reward for information concerning the mysterious Ray. And raising inverted commas, does this mean Ray Palmer, the Atom, is a legacy character? I don't know. <laughs> another panel. We pull slightly further out, see Happy with his back to us, which is a great way to introduce your hero. Still reading the newspaper, see a telephone on his desk, and off camera, his editor's voice yells, Hey, Happy! Am I paying you to read newspapers or to write for them? And then we see Happy properly in the first panel of page two, tilting his cap back, he's smoking a pipe as he reads the paper, and he shouts back to his editor, Sorry, boss. Reading about this Ray person. Got something for me to do? How about legging it down to the docks and getting a line in those sinkings? Three ships sunk in a week and not a decent yarn in one of them. Keep your shirt on, Mac. I've been using my head, not my legs, and I've got ideas on the case. Happy perches himself on his boss's desk in the next panel, continuing. Got a hunch our dock commissioner pal, Mr. Jennings, is interested in the cargoes of those sunken boats. In the next panel, he blows a couple of smoke rings, which is very impressive, considering he's got a pipe. I've got a line in his bank account. He's been depositing too much dough lately, and he hasn't been carrying on the investigation like he should. So... I'm off to cover the waterfront. So long. With that, he grabs his jacket and waves goodbye to his editor and leaves in a lovely detailed panel showing shelves and tables and clocks and things. Very, very nice. The artwork is gorgeous. Mm. It really is. But we'll see more about that as we go on. So the caption for panel seven. Meanwhile, out of the shadows on the docks, shrill, weird notes of music rouse the sleeping derelicts who have come there to roost. Yeah, it's a shot of some docks with some water playing over the top of them. There are ten panels on this first proper story page. Compare that nowadays, listeners, when every other page is a splash you get three panels per page with three mm-hmm. lines of dialogue and you understand why I am so completely out of touch with modern comics and what the heck's going on. But anyway, panel eight has a caption. A wild dancing figure fingering a clarinet pipes along the keys. Yes, we see the silhouetted figure dancing along the street. And like the Pied Piper of old, he charms the bums and dock hands. <laughs> See, that's funny, listeners, because bum means something else over here. He char- <laughs> he's charming their bums. Yes, we see the Piper dancing. We see that he's, he's wearing a longer coat, very much a zoot suit. You do mm. see, honestly, go to the Barrowlands on a Saturday afternoon, you'll still see people that are cutting about. He's dancing along in panel nine with some people following him. And then the caption for the final panel of page two reads... He plays upon their emotions with his eerie notes, making them laugh or cry as he wishes. And that panel is very representative, so we might put it in the socials. It's sort of we see some floating heads enjoying the music as he continues to play through his clarinet. And the first panel on page three, we see him standing, hair wild in the sky. He kind of looks like the Neil Gaiman Sandman. Mm-hmm. His coattails flapping. He appears to be wearing blue jeans. Don't know if that's true though. He waves his clarinet and cries, "Perfect! My scale is perfect." In panel two, he's going into some very shabby-looking rooms. We can see the plasters cracked in the wall. This must be where he's staying. It looks very shady. It looks like... Do you remember the vertical miniseries Shadows Fall? 
Remember the guy on the front cover of issue one of Shadows Fall? I don't think I read that one, I'll be honest. <laughs> right. Listeners, I might post the cover of issue one of Shadows <laughs> Fall as a comparison to how he looks in this panel. Anyway, as he walks into this shabby living space, he continues, They become helpless tools when I play. I can bend anyone to my will. My destiny is clear. My future assured. The ships will continue to sink. And no one will suspect the simple musician, Stradivus. No one will find me in my lonely attic. My Lonely Attic sported menswear at the plaza in Glasgow in 1996. Anyway, he's walking up some stairs towards his Lonely Attic and as he opens the door, I'm suddenly struck by how much he looks like the guy who played Light and Ghost Light in Doctor Who when yes. he was appearing in EastEnders shortly afterwards. Gosh. I'm going to be spoiled for choice for <laughs> I'm so-and-so <laughs> and when I'm not acting, I'm listening to their two podcasts mm. this week. Right, he's opening the door to his own attic space but someone has sat in a chair in front of him. Stradivus says, Someone here? Who? When we see the next panel, it's a large man, older man, a very thick moustache, slight back hair, who turns and is greeted by Stradivus, who says, Jennings, why have you risked coming here? Where in thunder have you been? Practicing with my clarinet. A great artist must always practice. Ah. There's a very moody shot of Stradivus lit from the bottom here. This is, we're going to be spoiled for choice, apparently, mm-hmm. in the socials. Dig out your Superman 252 listeners, go and we'll wait, it's worth it. You scorn my work. But you are glad to profit by it. He picks up his clarinet again, saying, If you need proof of my power, listen. Hey, no, I was only kidding. Don't blow that thing. Listen, I came here tonight because I heard that a shipment of gold is coming on a secret voyage. We're going to get it. And a slow dissolve takes us to the top of page four. As the dock commissioner's car leaves, another car rolls out behind it. The car that pulls out, driven by the dock commissioner, is bright red. There's another blue saloon car following it. Blue saloon car is being driven by our pal Happy. From inside the blue car, Happy's voice can be heard saying, I'll just keep my eagle eye on those two. Yes, and of course we said, he said to his boss that that's what he was going to do. He had a suspicion that Jennings was involved. So the caption for panel two, page four. Out of the city toward the lonely coast of Long Island, they speed. Yes. Does that mean we're in New York? I suppose it does. Mm-hmm. The red car and the blue car having a race. The red car's in the foreground. From inside the red car, we can hear what we think is Stradivus saying, Hurry, or she'll get to port. Obviously, they're monitoring another ship, the capture for panel three. Their destination is an old deserted lighthouse on a cutting rock along the south shore. Beautiful, moody, lovely shaded artwork here as the fancy red car arrives at the bottom of the lighthouse tower. We've not had a lighthouse since that brave and bold story we did. No, that's true. Mm -hmm. Anyway, from inside the car, we hear Jennings saying, Better play a good tune tonight, Strad, old boy. The caption for panel four reads... The two are not alone on the barren rock. Yes, we see the silhouetted forms emerging from the red car, but Happy, who's just a generic guy in a brown hat in this panel, really has arrived. He's watching them and he says... Looks like they've got some sort of radio sending tower up there. I'll tune in on them. And the next panel shows Stradivus and Jennings walking up towards some, some equipment. We see a couple of dials and some switches and some coiling cables. Jennings is saying... You've done it three times already, but I still don't know how it works. I contact the radio operator of the ship. When he succumbs to my music, his apparatus is still open, and my music grows louder and louder till it fills the whole boat. The crew is in my power. There's a giant glass valve in the front of that panel, obviously part of the equipment, and we see that Strad has his clarinet, there's a microphone in front of him, and he starts to play. As the hypnotic notes reach the ship, the captain obediently turns it from its course. Yep, see the ship beautifully rendered. I mean, look at the detailing on the 
the ocean there. It's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. So very, very, very interesting. See the, the ship obviously making a turn. And we cut back to Happy, who obviously must have some gear set up in his car. He's an earpiece up to his left here, and he's saying, Good grief, they're going to wreck it on the shoals by the lighthouse. In a flashing second, Happy Terrell reveals himself as the Ray. Yeah, there's a little burst of energy. We're not sure if that signifies his costume change, but Happy is now in costume as the Ray, which if you're not familiar with him, it's a very form-fitting yellow sort of golden outfit with a little fin in his head and a little collar detail which suggests, you know, a bit of a flash of light, I suppose. Mm -hmm. The Ray starts to run, saying, I'll get there first. Now, he's variously sort of portrayed later on as just being able to fly independently, but early on his power was really, his flight power was really just that he could sort of ride up searchlights yes, and, uh-huh. you know, and beams of light and stuff, mm-hmm. really, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So the caption for the first panel on page five reads, He launches himself on a swift ray beam and speeds toward the stricken ship. Yes, I'm guessing this is maybe just from the lighthouse stretching out across the bay. It's not too clear. The colouring is inconsistent over the next couple of pages, listeners. It appears that he's got bare legs in some panels and pages and others he doesn't. It appears there are bare legs here, but he's, we see him zooming across the water on the caption for panel two reads, Nearer to the fatal shoals draws the gold-laden vessel. The ray whips about the boat in a wide circle of light. Yeah, that's what we see. Over the these two panels, we can see the, the lighthouse on the rocks and the ray circling up high in the sky above the boat. Very, very exciting. Caption for panel four. And the powerful beam cuts the motor, bringing the ship to a halt. So is that beam being sent from the lighthouse? That's all very confusing. Mm. Anyway, there's some dialogue on the ship in the next panel. We'll hear presumably the captain saying, What happened? Great Scott, we were heading straight for those rocks. That music we heard, what was it? Caption for panel six. The ray drops on a shaft of light to the deck. Yes, we see, that's what we see. The ray descending towards. He lands on the, the deck of the ship. In the next panel, the captain says to him, What? What? What is the meaning of this? The Ray replies, You were under a hypnotic spell, but you'll be safe to go on now. I'll see to that. So head her around. I've got more work to finish up. The Ray walks off, the captain and one of his other senior officers staring after him. We arrive at the top of page six. Meanwhile... It's a shot of the lighthouse with the, the sea foaming underneath it. Very exciting. From inside, we hear Jennings saying, What has happened? She's back on her course again confronts Stradivus in panel two saying so your great power has failed and Stradivus looking wretched in panel three with I mean he's, he's quite a scary guy you mm-hmm. wouldn't see him coming towards you, in a, you know, on a dark night with his nope. thin angular face and long swept back hair and Stradivus replies no it cannot be something has interfered that strange light wait did you hear that noise below a guard has just encountered the snooping reporter happy to rill yes the guard just seems to be a thuggish guy with slight back here. Happy's back in his civvies. He's no longer dressed as the Ray. And they're basically squaring up to each other. The, the guard flings a punch, to which Harry replies, Hey! Panel four, we pull back a little bit. We can see an open doorway at the top of a flight of stairs and the silhouettes of Stradivus and Jennings looking down on the fight. Stradivus says, Who is there? And we see the guard take another punch at Happy, who ducks down, saying, Cut that out! Unless you want to get hurt! Right, he punches the guard back the next panel, taking him off his feet, flying Jennings and... Stradivus come down, Jennings pulls a pistol on Happy, saying, All right, up with him. Turn around and march up those steps. And Happy resignedly puts his hands in the air, saying, Okay, Commissioner. The next panel, they've moved back up the stairs further into the lighthouse. Happy's been sat on a chair with Jennings and Stradivus standing in front of him. Jennings says, I don't like to have a murder on our hands, but... No, I have a better idea. My clarinet, he says, an extreme close-up showing his hawk-like face is very scary. 
Once more, the whining notes echo through the vaulted lighthouse. Yes, listeners, it's a safe bet that this entire page is going to find its way onto the socials, quite frankly. There's a nice shot of Stradivus' fingers on the clarinet and also his shadow that he's casting as he as he works. And then there's a gorgeous sort of panel that's sort of split in half, almost by the surrounding panels of Stradivus' sweat back hair, angular cheekbones, tie cravat, and he's playing the clarinet gorgeous detail on the instrument and happy sat almost like he's been bombarded by by waves of sound the caption continues but in his intense fury stradivus has forgotten to turn off the transmitter he plays madly on a police boat nears the lighthouse and is drawn toward it by the uncanny sounds coming over the radio yep see the police boat and the, i mean honestly the coloring and the detail in here is stunning I'm reading from the Guandanaland reprint, so we'll have to check our copies of Superman 252 to see if the colouring is anywhere near as exquisite as this. But yes, sure enough, we see the police boat, and then the caption for the next panel reads, It gathers speed as it nears the foreboding rocks. But before it's too late, a searchlight beam is thrown on the tower. A beam from the police boat, which strikes the lighthouse in the final panel, page 7, and indeed a caption confirms, A great flash shakes the lighthouse. And the caption for panel 1 of page 8. And the ray appears, transformed by the searchlight's beam. Well, that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Mm. Revealed in his full costume, the ray says, Well, I must have scared them away. And then he busts into action in panel 2, grabbing a piece of equipment and slamming it against all of Stradivus' transmission gear, saying, First to smash this radio station. Awesome. Capture for panel 3. The apparatus explodes in a blinding glare. It pure does. Down the flight of stairs, the ray shoots like a bullet. A tough guard waits below. The ray dives. Yep, that's what we see a lot. See what you see captioning over here. The guard exclaims, hey, as the ray... Looks like he's swimming through the air towards him. Mm. Some nice layouts here, that is the way his, his figure sort of overlaps a couple of the other panels. Swinging with rights and lefts, he stuns the guard with a torrent of blows. Yep, see that going on. The guard's down on his knees on the floor in the next panel. But his opponent is a sea-toughened sailor. With a curse, he crawls to his feet. I'll fix yous, you fancy dance pickerel, he says. And grabs the ray around the waist. The next panel, caption telling us... He throws his huge bulk at the ray and sends him flat on his back. Indeed. The ray goes down the guard on top of him saying, Now, <laughs> I'll pulverise ya! But, slippery as a eel, the ray is on his feet again. Then he flips the guard over his shoulder. And cracks the sailor skull on the hard floor. Yes, we can see the impact is visible. Gosh. Two listening figures grow increasingly nervous. Yes, we see the shadows of Jennings and Stradivus. They're making for the exit, and indeed Stradivus says, Come, Jennings, we must leave. But as they flee toward the waiting car, the police boat has managed to beach on the dangerous shore. Yeah, we see the silhouetted forms leaving the base of the lighthouse, running towards the fancy red car, and... A machine gun chatters in the semi-darkness. Yes, and we see... Well, it looks like a policeman with a machine gun in his hand. A little bit of smoke coming from the barrel. It's a bit implicit about what has just happened. Mm. After this off-panel massacre, you see silhouettes of a couple of police officers. One of them, senior chap, hands on his hips, says, So it was Jennings and the creepy guy. <laughs> we'll have to wait till morning to take him in. Can't risk sailing in the dark. One of his lads replies, Did you hear him say the ray, Captain? But as they speak, a brilliant beam shines from the tower, opening a path of light to steer by. Yeah, great shot of the lighthouse. Searchlight shining out in the capture of the next panel. And the police boat skims safely out as the light slowly fades away. 
What's the implication there that the Ray used the lighthouse beam to escape? I don't mm. know. But this next panel shows the police boat sailing away, obviously, because the, the beam from the lighthouse has illuminated things enough for them to do so. So, a slow dissolve. Morning. And Happy, with his back to us again, marched into his editor's office saying, Well, I got the scoop in the sinking ships, boss. His boss, in an angry way, replies, Terrell, get out. You've been scooped by every paper in town. The police told the story last night. Another race story that you missed out on. Get out! Get out! Get out! And a broadly smiling happy takes his leave. And there is no caption. We have reached the end. That was wonderful. I wouldn't go that far. Oh, I really enjoyed it. The artwork in this is astounding. Yes. Electron is amazing. Electron is actually artist Lou Fine. Unfortunately, we couldn't find a writer credit for this story, so I don't know who wrote it. But yeah, Lou Fine is the artist, and it's beautiful. It is beautiful, and it rattles along. Mm. It doesn't, despite the number of panels, number of captionings, it doesn't outstay its welcome. Mm. I was a bit surprised at the. <laughs> The police just like shooting them. They could have been anyone. Yeah, they just happened to have a Tommy gun on yeah, them. There's a machine you know, gun. That's fine. Um, There's some suspicious people. Let's Tommy gun them yeah. down. They shoot first mm. and then identify them as Jennings and this creepy <laughs> guy. Rather than saying halt, stay where you are, we'll shoot. They just shoot yeah. them immediately. Mm. Rough justice. It yeah. ties in with you know the black condor. You know, just dropping yeah. the, the fake pretend black condor <laughs> to the ground from the sky. It's like the quality heroes and quality cops and stuff just do not mess about. Yes. But you're right, the artwork is stunning. Yeah, I mean, just to highlight some of the panels, we've got the opening splash page is fantastic. The Stradivus just looking as insane as we refer to him. Uh-huh. There's a lot of silhouette work here. The third panel in page three could literally be taken out of an early image book or a, an early 90s, late 80s DC book. Yeah, it has that, it that, has that, that look, look yeah. of sort of over-rendered, over-lined sort of thing that was briefly popular. Mm. And heavy shadows and silhouettes, yeah. yeah. And a few backgrounds. Yes. But then, in the same page, that the third last panel, just the, the uplit shot of his, the close-up of his face. Yes. That's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. He looks like the leader from Marvel yeah. Comics, really, in that Yeah, one, he? he really does. I mean, you could have seen this in a, a 1993 Vertigo comic and you wouldn't, mm-hmm. have, you wouldn't have flinched. Yeah. Uh-huh. As I you know, I compared him to Morpheus and the guy on the cover of Shadows Fall issue one. I did, I've got Shadows Fall listeners, but I you know, bought it at the time, but I haven't read it either. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> Apologies to the creators of Shadows Fall. You can probably get it on eBay for three quid. I was sort of surprised at how little the Ray was actually involved. Yeah. One, two, three... Mm-hmm. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen panels across the whole mm-hmm. nine pages, which with an average of eight or nine panels in each on each one. It's like a page and a bit of total for it featuring the ray. A good chunk of that is miscolored, is having yeah. bare legs. Yeah, yeah, and you know, all he does is really sort of fly out to the ship, tell them what's going on, and then mm-hmm. fly back and fight a couple of guards, one of whom he fights is happy. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the other one who... But I suppose he stops, he smashes up the he equipment. Smashes the machine. Yeah, yeah, stops that from happening. But that. he's too late to prevent them from being shot by the police. I mean, I suppose they were making ships crash. They were bad guys and all that. Yeah. They probably would have gone for the death penalty anyway. But, you know, mm. I'm, I'm a little unnerved at just the way the police just casually just... <laughs> for want of a better way of putting it. I don't know. Maybe they just had extra ammo they had to get rid of. Oh, God. Oh, that's no excuse. <laughs> If we don't use this ammo by the end of the month, they're going to cut our budgets next month and we won't get any more ammo. There we are. It's like the thing you see in Glasgow and Paisley and places like that when, when it gets to the near the end of the financial year and suddenly you see some roadworks getting done because <laughs> they've they've realised they haven't done anything so they'd better spend this money. Anyway, yeah. so yes, maybe not the most representative story of the Ray. No, it's a very early one. It's like its fourth story. So, yeah, yeah, but, you know, a Pied Piper. 
that was your reason for selecting it, wasn't it? Yes, although he's not actually referred to in the story as Pied Piper, he's referred to in one of the captions as the Pied Piper. And this, <laughs> Tenuous story, much. And the story has unofficially been called A Modern Pied Piper yes. in the reprint. It's not actually got an official title, but in the reprint, in all the comic sites, that's what it's called. So we thought, yes, let's just well, do you, that. You, you thought and I agreed because you'd done all the I, I was but, using the royal yes. <laughs> And of course, the actual modern Pied Paper that we think of when we think of the character is one of Flash's rogues. He debuted in Flash issue 106, which came out on the 19th of February 1959. And that is the only issue of Flash that I need to complete the full Barry Allen run from Gosh. Flash 105 to 350 because I recently got the facsimile of 105. That counts. I'm counting that, that. But I've got the originals of everything else. So I can't tell you much about the story. I can tell you it's fine. Before I <laughs> did, I have one oh six before I sold all my Silver Age Flash. I don't think so. I didn't have the first appearance of Wally. I didn't have the first appearance of Ralph. I think it was maybe one oh five, one oh six, one oh seven. Otherwise, I didn't have. Or did I have one oh seven? And I didn't. That doesn't matter. It was before they were distributed in the UK, so they're really hard to get here. Of course, yeah. yeah so. Yeah, it's worth doing. It's, you know, we're obviously just using these episodes as little sort of tasters. Yeah. And the Ray will obviously get a bit more to do as the Freedom Fighters series appears, the ongoing appears in a few years as the crow flies. There are several other Pied Pipers that have appeared oh, really? in the past. Yes. Oh, so, really? So we may do it at some point in another one of our infamous portmanteau episodes where we cover some other Pied Pipers. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I do enjoy a portmanteau episode, he said, looking significantly to the camera. <laughs> so that's it probably for the Ray. Mm-hmm. The next member of the Freedom Fighters we're going to talk about today is Phantom Lady. Can you remember when you first encountered Phantom Lady? Yes, it's not in an issue of Freedom Fighters. It was actually when she turned up at the beginning of All Star Squadron. Yes, she's in the original lineup of that there. So yes, of course. Well, that yep, brilliant story to start when all those villains from all over the place. Yes, mm-hmm. we'll get to that eventually. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like again, it was probably an issue of All Star Squadron because I got. I remember. The, earlier when I mentioned how the shop and I used to get my comics from they closed and had to resort to reading other comics and I remember that it was briefly opened again by a couple of people who briefly dabbled in the comics and that would have been tail end of 86 and I mm-hmm. did get a copy of All Star Squadron issue 1 then so that might have been the first time I met her if she was in issue 1 I can't remember or maybe it was one of the the issue of All Star Squadron that dealt with the change at the crisis you know with the spoilers <laughs> the team photo <laughs> yes issue. But I can't, I can't remember when she really sort of read, but also it might have been, I might have seen her on the cover of that issue of The Flash, you know, when the, the, the legacy D. Tyler version of Phantom Lady kind of, of course, yes, kicked uh-huh. about with Wally for a while. Mm. Phantom Lady has a very complicated and, and long and involved publication history, which we're not going to go into, but I would refer you, if you're interested, to the quality companion published by Two Models Publishing. Excellent amount of work mm-hmm. in that. It's, a, it's, it's, it really is some brilliant detailing and all the, not just the publication history, but the narrative history for a lot of the characters yeah. we're talking about mm-hmm. over these episodes. We might dip into it further when the Freedom Fighters ongoing begins and stuff. I believe the print version of that is out of print, but it is available digitally right. from Two Morrows. Yeah, listeners, I would encourage you to check it out. Mm-hmm. Go on eBay and if you have to pay a, a little bit more than what it, its cover price was to get it, to get a hold of it, it's it's really it really is worth it because you get the full details of Phantom Lady being published by Quality Comics. She was only published by them for a couple of years and then being picked up by the Fox Syndicate, then the, as we mentioned, the, the version who appeared in the 80s where her real name was D. Tyler, no relation to Rex Tyler, I believe, mm-hmm. and details on, on all the other characters as well. It's mm-hmm. really, 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 really good. I mean, it's a it's a great companion volume yes. to the All-Star companion issues, mm-hmm. Pride of Place on My Shelf, etc. So, Phantom Lady, 
a very sexy lady, it must be said, with her bathing suit costume and her green cape and all that. She must have been yeah. freezing. I think most of these superheroes actually be freezing, to be honest. Yeah, like, you know... Especially the ones that can fly with the, all that wind shear. Exactly. To be honest, yeah. Firebrand's mm. cut about in that, that loose-fitting... Blue song. Pink shirt, you know. Yeah. That, you know you'd be able to tell if he had a vest on. Black Condor flying around in his underpants. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of shoulder protection. Maybe they were just made of sterner stuff. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> the Phantom Lady story that Peter has archaeologised out of nowhere for us to cover this week also appeared in issue 13 of Police Comics, which is where we read that mouthpiece story from a couple of weeks ago. So you don't have to tell you about the cover because we've done it already. Yay. But our Phantom Lady story, and again, this one's in the public domain. Mm-hmm. So you could all the, the sites that Peter mentioned. He's going to mention them again because I can't remember what they are. Comic Book Plus and Digital Comic Museum. There may be others. That yeah, I'm, but uh, that's only two I'm aware of. You may be able to track it down if you you mm-hmm. know if you make the effort quite easily if you want to read along. So flip to page forty one of issue thirteen of Police Comics. The dynamic Phantom Lady logo at the top of the page, and a, a little caption tells us the story is by Arthur Perry. He's the artist of this story. I don't have a credit for a writer, but uh, he started off in 1939 doing such things as the Waco Kids and the Captain right. Savage, Merlin the Magician, and Phantom Lady was one of his earlier titles. He worked Excellent. all the way through to the early 70s, but in his later years, he was mostly doing uh, romance comics, okay, which kind of works really for the style that he has in Phantom Lady, to be honest. Excellent. He also sounds very much like a Monty Python character. Yes, Arthur Putty <laughs> is probably what you were yes. hoping I'd pick up on there. Awesome. So, this opening image is very dynamic. Mm. A car, a large blue car, seems to be crashing into a wall, and Phantom Lady seems to have steered it in. She can see her left hand on the steering wheel. What looks like a swastika armband on the, the arm of one guy who's gone through the windscreen. Gasp. Very dynamic. There's another guy in the back of the car, and you can see a bit of a hole in the bottom of his shoe. Gosh. Which probably isn't something you get nowadays. Not as often, no. To be honest, in the world. But anyway, that's a topic for another conversation. A caption sets the scene. Senator Knight would be astounded if he knew the beautiful crime buster Phantom Lady was his daughter Sandra. Phantom Lady, who with the aid of her black flashlight, is the scourge of America's enemies. Well done, Peter. There's so much there that could have gone horribly wrong. Mm. (laughs) Now, the caption for the first proper part of the story reads... Beneath a neutral foreign council building, a deadly bundle is placed by Dainty Fingers. Dainty Fingers supported the Montrose Avenue at the Portsmouth Wedgwood Rooms in 1997. Maybe. Maybe. I thought Dainty Fingers was their first keyboard player. Was that not a Rolling Stones album? No, that's Sticky Fingers. The Earth Two Rolling Stones, that was their album. Yes. Yes. And they played it at Stockwood. Yes. That could be a fun game. Other slightly fudged Rolling Stones album names. Anyway, right, that's a whole other conversation. We don't want to be here all night. Yes, these dainty fingers, the deadly bundle they're placing, is a big wadge of dynamite. Gasp. And the fuse has been lit. And indeed, the caption for the next panel reads, A minute later, a thunderous explosion shatters the air as a familiar figure darts out of sight. Out of sight. That definitely sounds like a Rolling Stones song, doesn't it? Mm. Anyway, the figure that's darting out of sight has a green cape and appears wearing a costume very much like a yellow bathing suit. Could Phantom Lady have caused the explosion? Caption for the next panel. Shortly after... It's another montage panel. A very smartly dressed, bespectacled, tuxedo-wearing news announcer is speaking into a microphone as we can see armed officers running around the policemen speeding around in a car and the boy waving a newspaper. And the announcer is saying... Flash! 
Phantom Lady has taken on a new role. Once a mighty force for law and order, she is now embarked on a crime wave of her own. Early today, she bombed... Yes, the newspaper headline that we see at the bottom of the panel reads, Washington Herald, all Washington searches for Phantom Lady, unless that's a misprint and it's someone called Al Washington who's searching for Phantom Lady. So, mm. Phantom Lady's gone bad? <gasps> what? What could be going on? The caption for the first panel, page two. Meanwhile, Sandra, the Phantom Lady, and Maisie hear the reports. Sandra and Maisie drive along in Sandra's motor car. The radio is on. You can hear a broadcast saying, Police are making every effort to capture the Phantom Lady and expect to make an early arrest. Which Sandra says, Well, of all the nerve, Maisie says, And I always thought she was swell. Radio gets switched off in panel two before Maisie continues. Say, what's eating you? Leave it on, I want to hear Joe Gulch and his swingaroos. Who, of course, supported menswear at the blah, 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 blah in 19 blah, blah. Yes, it was Sandy that switched off the radio because she can't be bothered. Sandy says, Sorry, Maisie, I've got a headache right now. Then she thinks to herself, Hmm, I'll have to look into this. Trying to blame the Phantom Lady, eh? Hmm. Suddenly, a figure appears on the road. Yes, another dark-haired lady whose hair looks very similar to Sandra's, it must be said. Standing at the side of the road, waves and cries, How about a lift? Sandra pulls up, saying, What's the trouble, miss? My car broke down on the side road. As the girl slips inside, Sandra gets a glimpse of familiar clothes. Yes, we can see the hint of a green cape and a yellow bathing suit under the the woman's purple dress. As she climbs into the car, the woman says, Thanks, this is a break. Of course, Sandra, registering what she's wearing, thinks, A Phantom Lady costume. And she continues, Hop in. So, lady sat down. She's in the back seat. Sandra says, Where to? I'm going to a filling station up the road. Says the lady looking very arch. Maisie says, Gee, Sandra, that's only a few miles from your house. At the night mansion, Sandra halts the car. And Maisie gets papped out, as we would say over here. We can hear Sandra inside the car saying, Maisie, tell them to go ahead with dinner. I'll be right back. But, but... In the final panel of page two, a very grumpy looking Maisie hands in her hips watches Sandra's car roaring off and she says, Well, she almost pushed me out the car. She sure seemed anxious to get me out of the way. I don't get it. A slow dissolve for the caption for first panel on page three. Later. Yep, we see Lady in the Purple Dress, with a similar haircut to Sandra, getting out of the car saying, Well, thanks for the lift, miss. Inside the car, Sandra says, That's okay. A short way down the road, Sandra parks the car. Then... She exits the car in her Phantom Lady costume. Running back the way she came, Phantom Lady says, What luck. She should be the key to this mystery. The next panel, she arrives at a, what looks like a wooden cabin type structure. The detailing that's in so many of these stories is gorgeous. We see the pipe outside and a couple of broken bits of wood leaning against the, the wall underneath the open window. Sandra creeps towards it thinking, I'll just take a look in that window. And she peeps in, in the next panel, a wider panel, unusually structured the way the panels are all mm-hmm. laid out on this page. It's a good thing it's public domain. We can just pose the whole thing. We're inside the cabin. We can see Phantom Lady, or Sandra, looking through the window. And inside... We see the lady who Sandra's dropped off. Her purple overcoat or dress, whatever it was, is gone. And she's indeed dressed as Phantom Lady. There are a few other guys standing around. One guy in a purple suit. One guy in a striped shirt with a hat. And a much more brutish, big beefy guy in a sort of greeny grey suit. And significantly, there's an inkwell on the desk which appears to have a swastika on it. So that's probably very significant. But it's the wrong way around. Yeah, interesting. Maybe it's the right way around, depending which way you're looking at it. Maybe it's made of glass. Anyway, too much detail on this. This evil phantom lady impersonator is sat very suggestively on the desk with one leg up and she says, Well, how did I do? 
And the guy in a striped shirt and hat replies, That bombing was a neat job. And the big British guy says, I believe we shall next finish the White House. Soon they will get the real Phantom Lady to pay for us. Yeah. From outside, Sandra takes everything that we've just described and said in and thinks, Nazis. And we're back outside with Sandra for the caption for the next panel. But... And off camera, a voice says, Take that, you snooper. And coshes Phantom Lady on the back of the head. Meanwhile... We're back with Maisie and with Sandra and her pal, Don. Don, who looks very much like, I don't know, like an older version of Roy Harper to me. Anyway. Yes, or Wally West. Or, uh, yeah. A smartly dressed ginger guy. Yeah, should we get Logan on the phone to get to, to voice him? Anyway, Don is saying, Think, Maisie, think. Where does she go? It doesn't take three hours to go a few miles. Where is this filling station? Don't shout at me, Don. It's down the road. Maybe she was in a smash-up. Oh. Don legs it in the next panel. The detailing again is phenomenal. You see the pillars at the doorway. He's running down the stairs to the, towards the car. He's saying, Why didn't I think of that before? Wait, I'm a cone too. Cries Maisie, whose accent is all over the place. We arrive then at the top of page four. And soon, Dawn is at the filling station. Yeah, the filling station, which we're guessing must be the cabin structure that those Nazis were sort of sitting in. We guess that's what's going on. It's not very clear. But Dawn's battering on the door saying, Come on, open up in there or I'll break the door down. And panel two, one of the fake Phantom Lady's pals, big guy in a purple suit, was in a previous page, but then it will line, opens the door. Dawn says, Where's Sandra Knight? What do you think this is? A girl's school? Fake Phantom Lady recognises Maisie. She taps the purple suit guy on the arm and says, See, that's one of the girls that gave me a lift. Purple suit guy whispers to her, Quiet. And then he says, Well, you folks better step in. Suddenly, the fake phantom lady lunges forward, saying, Slug him! And she strikes Dawn in the back of the head with a chair. One of the other bad guys grabs Maisie, saying, Shut up, you nosy dame. <laughs> Dawn's unconscious, we see the bits of broken chair all over the place. The guy in the purple suit is holding Maisie. Don's being dragged towards an open door into another room. And the guy who's dragging him says, I wonder why they came back. The guy in the purple suit says, That's not as important as our getting out of here. Elsewhere, caption of the next panel reads, Meanwhile, the real phantom lady seeks a means of escape. Yeah, because she got knocked unconscious in the last page, if we'd all forgotten. Sandra has found herself in, well, helpfully she says, A grease pit. But the wall moves. Yeah, and she can see what looks like a hinged section of the brick wall opens. She starts crawling through it in the next panel, saying to herself, Now, if they don't hear me, I'll be able to make my break. The next panel, Sandra, the real phantom lady, has found a trapdoor up into another room. As Sandra emerges, she sees the unconscious Dawn stretched on the ground, and Maisie, who seems slumped against the wall, tied up with her hands behind her back, phantom lady says, Why, it's Dawn and Maisie! Quickly, turning on her black flashlight to blind her two friends. Phantom Lady crawls over, starts to untie the bonds at Dawn's wrists, saying, Shh, don't make a sound. I'll have you free in a minute. Then leave quickly. Which Dawn replies, Thanks. Suddenly, guy in a purple suit bursts in with a pistol. Phantom Lady sees this and thinks, Thank goodness Dawn and Maisie got away. And the guy in a purple suit is saying, So you're freed the other two prisoners. Well, we make sure you don't get away. We got a special job for you. And then the first panel on the next page, Phantom Lady lunges towards him and his pal, who's presumably come in the door behind him, saying, I don't like the kind of jobs you rats do. She grabs one guy by the throat, he says, Why you? Then the guy with a purple suit and a pistol points the gun at the Phantom Lady's back, saying, Now take it easy, girlie. Phantom Lady replies, Uh-uh, and seems to put her hands up. 
Panel three, they're now somewhere else completely. We don't seem to be in the middle of nowhere at the filling station anymore. And they're all piling into a car. Purple suit guy is saying, Now if you'll just drive us to the White House, Miss Phantom Lady. Inside the vehicle, Sandra's driving. Purple suit guy in the back of the car, pointing his pistol at her, saying, Soon there will be no more White House and no more you. Phantom Lady thinks, I must stop them. Suddenly, the screaming siren of a fire truck gives the Phantom Lady an idea. Yes, in the next panel, we see that as the car is driving along the street, we see a fire truck coming in the other direction. There's an inset panel showing Phantom Lady's foot going down hard on the accelerator. The two German bad guys are appalled. One of them yells, Look out, you fool! We'll crash! And his pal yells, Ah, stop! But Phantom Lady looks determined. And as Phantom Lady leaps from the car, the car collides with a wall, which is basically, I think, what we saw in the opening splash image. Mm. In the next panel, one of the firemen has come towards her, obviously, see, having seen the crash. Phantom Lady is standing, and as the fireman walks towards her, she activates her black flashlight, shining the beam into his face, and she says, With the compliments of the real Phantom Lady... There's a gang of Nazi spies in that wreckage. The fireman replies, Take that light out of my eyes, I can't see. A slow dissolve. Don and Maisie were among the spectators who witnessed the capture of the Nazi gang. Yes, we see Don and Maisie chatting about the events as they arrive back at Sandra's house. Don saying, Well, that's more like the real Phantom Lady. Yes, the one they captured was a Nazi spy. And a slow dissolve takes us to the final panel. Later, at Sandra Knight's home. Yes, we see Sandra. Sat reading the paper or a magazine with her feet up on a chaise lounge, looking very relaxed, and she says, Well, where have you two been? Can I take a little ride without being deserted? Which Dawn says, Well, I'll be. I've been searching everywhere for you. And a very indignant Maisie says, How do you like that? And that is essentially the, the end. end. That could have done with more pages to tell that story. There was an awful lot in there, and it was very squished. It was incredibly squished, incredibly messy to follow, and I'm famous of wondering what was the whole point were they trying to... Frame Phantom Lady? Yeah, to what end? This is a very early Phantom Lady appearance as well, mm. so she's not really hugely established to frame, to be honest, in the first place. Yeah, so, right, let's let's backtrack. All Washington search for, searches for Phantom Lady, so were they just using that as a distraction? Were they trying to discredit her? Soon they will get the real Phantom Lady to pay for us, yeah. That boy was a neat job. Framing her. So they're framing her, and then when they get hold of the real one... By sheer fluke, they decide mm. to use her to drive them up to the White House so they can try and assassinate the president or blow the White House up or something. Yes. What? I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the the, the false mm. one vanishes completely. Totally, yes. She's still out there somewhere. She's not brought to, you know, she vanishes after the, how did I do? Uh-huh. Even they meet face to face, obviously, because mm-hmm. you know they pick her up on the road and all that, but she's gone. They don't conflict. There isn't a satisfying scene of Sandra punching out the fake one Maybe as the fake one was maybe going to do the mission. Mm -hmm. The only thing that's really there is Sandra's conversation with the fireman telling her that, you know, I'm the real phantom lady. There's, you know, they haven't brought the the fake one to justice. It's very messy. Yes. I mean, listeners, I struggle getting through this as we're reading it. I hope Peter (laughs) doesn't put on my, the outtakes of my, my regular meltdown at the Uh end here, because this was a real struggle to actually follow what the heck was going on. I hope we've made it reasonably easy to follow. Indeed. The fake phantom lady, which is, by the way, the reason we chose this story, because there's a second phantom lady in it. Yeah. She essentially vanishes after they knock out Don and Maisie, but there's no, there's no confrontation. We don't find out who she is. No. Her real name or anything, what her motivation is. For, is she just another Nazi? She doesn't get caught, let me see. Yeah. Does she come back? Ah. 
Maybe her new writer DC comic will write a very hard to follow and convoluted story where she does come back. I think we should. I think there's a lot of these characters, these uh, fake versions that we could uh, have team up. Gosh. That would be fantastic. <laughs> I would hugely enjoy that. There's not a lot to say about this, Adam. We've just said the artwork's quite nice. The layout of some of the panels is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Lots of inserts and small mm-hmm. panels and bigger panels. As we say, page three has very unusual panel shapes and layout. Mm-hmm. Plenty packed into page two. Like, what, nine, ten panels on page two alone? There's more panels in this five-page story than you get in a modern comic. I know. It's, it's insane. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, the fact that Sandra just happened to drive past the fake one. Yeah. Did the fake one know who she was? No, she couldn't have. You know, getting the lift to the filling station, the coincidence that Sandra finds them, then gets knocked out by one of the guys outside, obviously. Yeah. There's a good story there somewhere. Yeah, but you have to really work hard to get it. Yeah. If you took the bones of it and kind uh-huh. of tried to work something out, so obviously the fake phantom lady, was she making her way back? She was, yeah, she was. She was making mm-hmm. her way back to the filling station hideout mm-hmm. to talk to the others. Don and Maisie arrived there looking for her because obviously Maisie heard the woman saying she wanted a lift to the filling station. Yeah. So some time must have passed then after mm-hmm. Sandra dropped Maisie off at the house. Yeah. I think Maisie thinks where does she go? It doesn't take three hours. It has, yeah, three hours to go a few miles. Where is it? So yeah, they go to mm-hmm. look for her. They get knocked out with the fake one. We don't see what happened to Don and Maisie after Sandra frees them until... No, they, it's just Sandra saying that they have yeah. are thinking they got away and it's yeah. like, from where? You were in an enclosed yeah. room and they came in the only door. Aye. <laughs> no. Uh-huh. Unless they went back out the trap door. Possibly. Yeah, that's, that, that's yeah, a possibility. That's, yeah. that, I, think, mm-hmm. I think you're right there, actually. That's yeah. probably what happened. But you're right. Mm-hmm. Another couple of pages maybe to show some more of that and yeah. give us a confrontation with the other one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're lacking in that. It's, we are. It's, yeah. it's an interesting story, as you say, because it's it, we're enjoying these little conceits of mm-hmm. doing these stories where you know there are evil versions yes. of people dressing up. It's fun to do them, but this is probably the let's be honest, this is probably the worst one. Yeah, I don't like using such mm-hmm. strong terminology as that, but it is. <laughs> you know, the 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 potential is there, yeah. but I suppose the lack of pages just stimmies it. Really, I think the artwork is really nice, but mm. it's too cramped. It's, yeah. it's not giving enough room to breathe. It's, yeah. Things like I like the inset panel of the you know the boot on the accelerator. There's only uh-huh. one pedal in this car, by the way. Yes. There's no brake in this car. No, which is hilarious. Which is why they obviously crashed into a wall. <laughs> but yeah, in general, it's it's really nice. The close-ups are are, are fantastic. I mean, the first page is great. That little mm. montage showing the oh, radio yeah. announcer and the the soldier and the cops and the newspaper boy. Mm-hmm. And obviously, looking at the splash panel, we can see the armband around the the arm of the the guy going through the windscreen. Uh-huh. He would appear to be the big beefy guy that has the line in page three. But he's not in the car when it mm. actually, oh, God, we could be here all day. And it wasn't very clear as to whether they actually were German or whether they were just local hoods. That seems to be a bit of variety. Yes. Or were they putting on a fake accent? Yeah, exactly. Or... Yeah. So forgive our storytelling choices in this. Yes, because so... we found as we went along, Peter suddenly, suddenly thought, wait a minute, the guy in the purple suit does seem to have a German accent. Should have done that earlier on. Mm. Was he putting it on for Don and Maisie? It's not very clear. Yes, well... Shall we draw a line under this one and move on to the next story? <laughs> Phantom Lady. Gosh, Willikers. Yes, yes. Let's do Phantom that. Lady. Hopefully, the next time you appear on the podcast, you'll get a bit more to do and it will be a bit clearer. Hardy har, big wink to camera. Uh-huh. Right. Well, last week we did those lads. So far, I've done the rain, Phantom Lady. Who's left? It's Dollman. Now. Yay. Yes. Can you remember when you first encountered Dollman? Again, it's that issue of the Freedom Fighters uh, that I got at the Glasgow Barris <laughs> that time. What about yourself? See, this is the thing, right? I wish I could be more specific, and I wish I could remember where it was. But it was run about, I want to say 76, 77. 
and we were mm-hmm. on holiday at the seaside. Okay. And I have a very clear memory because this was this would have been round about the point that I would have first become exposed to superheroes, be it in issues of Invaders or Justice League or, or whatever. And I have a very, very clear memory. This is always because on a sort of seaside book or spinner rack or magazine stand type thing, mm-hmm. a number of comics featuring this guy in blue and red called Dollman. And I remember thinking, who's Dollman? Yeah. I haven't seen him in The Invaders or mm. The Avengers or Justice League or The X-Men or yeah, whatever. Uh-huh. My sister was born in 1979. She won't thank me for saying that. I'm sure it's before that. I wish that I'm, I might be able to figure out eventually where it was. I remember it's going, going to Lossy Mouth, but I can't remember where Lossy Mouth is. But I don't remember. Mm. That's not really quite the seaside, is it? No, I don't think so. Could it be a day out of air or something? No, it was, no. Definitely, it was definitely down in England. The specifics are long gone in my brain, mm-hmm. but I do remember the the I have the kind of the mental photograph, if you like, that I sure. took and sort of seeing yeah. Dollman. So it was years later before I encountered him again, probably mm-hmm. in the pages of All Star Squadron yeah. or, or whatever, uh-huh. and was kind of like, oh right, yeah, I remember seeing because as as a little boy, it was sort of like I never saw him again. That was the thing I saw him yeah. as as being sort of probably at the age of four at the most, mm-hmm. and seeing right, who's this? Yeah. Understanding the concept of the mm-hmm. of the superhero immediately is very small, yes. but I never saw him. I never saw him ever again until like whatever it was in the eighties and nineties that had an issue of All Star Squadron mm-hmm. and featured him. So I, it's a weird one. Is so much earlier than any of the other Freedom Fighters, you know? Sure, and, yeah. And it was just this. It's just this random lockdown memory. It's like, what's the first Doctor Who story you remember? City of Death, right? Because the first one I remember is Deadly Assassin. Okay, and I remember. The repeat a year later and mm-hmm. being like, "All oh, right, I know what's coming here." Yeah, and this was quite scary. Okay, that's so that's Tom's third. I remember whole chunks from that point onwards. Mm-hmm. And it's only when you become older and become a Doctor Who fan, you can go, "All oh, right, well, that was in this point in 1977, or that was this point then." Yeah. So my feeling is that Dollman would could have been around the same point. Anyway, this has been me talking about Dollman. I think that's possibly some of the reprints. There's a company I think called VW that got the printing plates mm. for some of the quality issues, and they just printed their own yeah. Dollman. I've got a couple of those issues. I'm sure they were. I mean, I'm saying I'm sure. I've often meant to like you know look up on eBay and have a poke about, but it's not mm. the sort. Of, I've never seen them at comic marts or anything like this. You know, I've got a couple over the yeah. years. Right, mm-hmm. can you dig them? Let me have a look. Mm-hmm. It was all just struck my head that because there's so many, and there was a few of these comics at a couple of these different sort of newsstand newsstand types yeah. of situations, uh-huh. and thinking, oh right, he must be quite a big deal. Mm. <laughs> For a small man, because he seems to be everywhere. Yes, why have not heard of him and, and then didn't see him again? Uh-huh. Fascinating. Mm. So yes, Dollman. The story we're reading today comes from issue 133 of Feature Comics, which was published on the 16th of February 1949, listeners. Mm-hmm. So we've looked forward a few years. This is well after the war. Some of the other guys are gone, but obviously some of the quality comics characters lingered for quite a while. Peter's going to tell you about the cover to Feature Comics 133. We have the Feature Comics logo at the top. We have an image in the cover of... Dollman apparently leaping from a painting. Yes. Some bad guys are actually cutting out a painting from a frame. And that's where Dollman seems to be leaping from. And yes, he's looking out to attack one of them. The other one actually has like other paintings rolled up. He looks quite happy, but he doesn't actually see what's happening. He doesn't see Dollman leaping. He's looking at us, the reader. He's delighted. He is. To have got those paintings. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest, the one in the frame's not very good, is it? It's not quite worthy of Constable or Leonardo, is it? Modern art is rubbish. It's just plain yellow. Mm. How exciting. The the Photoshop opportunities there are endless. Unless that 10 cents is in the corner of the painting. It's a painting of of a yellow square with 
10 cents in the top right-hand corner. You know, I would buy that for £10,000. Would you? Yes. God, priorities, eh? <laughs> what would, listeners, what would you spend £10,000 on? Mm. Mm. And there is some text at the side saying, The doll man meets Daryl Dane's double. Yes, because Daryl Dane is doll man's real name. Listeners, we've neglected to give you first appearance details of all these characters. Maybe we'll do it when we get to the story properly, mm-hmm. the GLA story properly. Maybe we'll do it when we get to Freedom Fighters. But, you know, again, we would refer you to the excellent Quality Comics Companion. They'll give you a lot more detail and information on these guys than we ever yes. could. So, before in, we go on to the splash oh, page, oh, we, have, we, go on to the splash we page. have to have a look at this advert that's in the inside cover. It's here, it's new, it's available now. The Slidomatic 2-in-1 Combination Lighter and Cigarette Case. My goodness. For all you kids out there who love Dollman. Uh, yes, this is awful. It's amazing. It's almost like a Swiss army knife for uh, people who want to kill For themselves. smokers, yes. It's, yes. And it's, it's a combination <laughs> of a surefire cigarette lighter, a cigarette case with glow-in-the-dark initial, and, a, and also... If you order it today, you'll get a handy keychain with a ballpoint pen. All of that for $1.98. Not just a ballpoint pen, the world's smallest ballpoint the pen. The world's smallest boy, ball. Good, I can't even see it. I'm so excited. Which is so appropriate for Dollman. Yes. <laughs> Was it targeted advertising for, for small people? That's what he signed his autograph with. Try for 10 days at no cost to you. This is like one of those adverts that Viz and my pal yes. Andrew Mark Thompson take oh. the mickey out of. It's glorious. It's not really. And obviously, we don't, we don't encourage you to smoke. It is a fascinating uh, look back at history, as indeed all these stories are. So shall we jump into the story now? Well, actually, I want to, get, I want to oh, talk okay. about who's, who's supplied this, this okay. stunning device, which mm. we'll, obviously we might put the, the advertisement on the socials. Mm-hmm. It's We would read it as E-Z Industries, but it's also EZ Industries. EZ Industries. EZ Industries, mm. Department NM, 1226 Northwestern Avenue, Chicago 22. Illinois, presumably. So, Steve, if you're listening, if you're not doing anything this weekend, could you drive up to Chicago and try and find number 1,226 Northwestern Avenue and tell us how you get on? Yeah. Our pal Steve Higgins, (laughs) who has helped us out in the past with some voices and is going to be helping us out on the Justice League story when we get to it in a couple of weeks. Anyway, so now that's out of the way, the Slidomatic. I love Mm. it. I don't really. Right. We have an opening (laughs) splash panel. There's quite a lot of it going on. A bank has been robbed. A bunch of guys in suits. They all look very distinct. One guy in a green suit with a big brown hat, wearing a black shirt and a yellow tie. Another guy in a brown suit, brown hat. He seems to have glowing white hair. There's another guy, very craggy face, a high forehead, long blonde hair, wearing a brown overcoat. He doesn't look too happy because they're all going flying because in the foreground of the panel, we can see Dollman using a spanner to open a fire hydrant and so-called these would-be bank robbers in water. Gasp. And on the right of all, watching all this going on, there's a man in a blue suit, wearing a hat, smart red tie, and he looks very, very familiar. He looks very much like the, the small diminutive figure who's perched in the fire hydrant using the spanner. They could almost be brothers. Captioning reads, Take another look at the above picture. A good long look. Obviously, something is the matter. Daryl Dane and the doll man can't possibly be in the same scene together. For everyone knows that Daryl Dane and the doll man are one and the same person. But... This isn't the artist's mistake, folks. It's just a sample of what can happen when the doll man crime-busting's mightiest might meets Daryl Dane's double. double. Love all the alliteration. So, into the story properly. The first panel of page two is captioned. Late one night when Daryl Dane was walking home across the Two City Bridge. The Two City Bridge? 
Is this the bridge that links Central City and, and Keystone? And Keystone? May well Interesting. Be. Mm. Maybe when we write our DC comic. Of course. Daryl's wearing a blue suit. He's walking along the pedestrian side of the bridge. And there appears to be a guy jumping off the side. Daryl yells, Hey, look out! Daryl rushes towards him in panel two, saying, He jumped. I'm too late. And in the very exciting caption for panel three reads, Instantly, Daryl Dane exercises his remarkable faculty to compress the molecules of his body and becomes the dynamic doll man. Yes, sadly, we don't actually see him shrinking down. That would have been cool. But he's shrunk down. We can see his blue shorts, blue vest top, little red booties, red cape. And he bounds onto the ledge at the edge of the bridge, saying, But it isn't too late for me. If the fall didn't kill him, there's still a chance. And he dives off the side into the water. Bridge obviously crossing the river. Is there a river between Keystone and Central? I can't remember. There is indeed, but uh, I don't really know what it's called. Okay. It's usually on fire whenever you see it in stories. If it ever features, there's always something happening in it. Okay. Interesting. So, So, yes, in the next panel, Dollman breaks the surface of the water, swims underneath, and sees the twisting body of the man who jumped off. Dollman spots him, thinks, There he is now. In the next panel, Dollman, who's obviously very strong, swimming back towards the shore, pulling the man by the scruff of his coat behind him, saying, He's unconscious, but alive. I'll tow him ashore. A little emergency first aid will bring him to. And the final panel of page two. Man's face down in the mud, head slightly to one side. Dogman seems to be massaging his shoulders and his back. Obviously trying to get all the water out of his lungs or something. The man groans, saying, Dollman says, Good, he's coming round. And then we arrive at the top of page three. And then the doll man gets the shock of his life. Yes, the man starts to raise himself up from the mud. We get a good look at his face. And so does Dollman, who exclaims, Why? Why, he looks exactly like Daryl Dane. My name is Oliver Fenton. I can say I'm grateful to you for saving my life. Continues in the next panel. I wanted to die. I've nothing to live for any longer. Why didn't you leave me alone? Maybe you'd better come with me to uh, a friend's house. I'd like to hear the rest of your story. And a slow dissolve. In Daryl Dane's apartment. Fenton is sat, still in his suit, which is probably soaking. <laughs> but he's got a big blanket over his arms. There's a roaring fire that Dollman is standing in front of. I hope he doesn't stand too close to it. Fenton is saying, And then the elevated highway I built collapsed. Sixty people were injured. Twenty killed. I, I can't help feeling that somehow it was my fault. Nonsense. It's plain from your account that inferior materials caused the damage. Besides... The contractor who supplied the materials was sent to prison. That proves he's the guilty one and not you. Do, do you really think so? I feel much better already. And a slow dissolve. But while the doll man solves another man's problems, there is trouble in the making for him. Yes, we're inside now a very, very lush-looking apartment room. Three men, one sat behind the desk. They all look very familiar. We've met them before. There's the large... Beefy guy in the green suit with the brown hat and the black shirt and yellow tie who we met in the splash panel. This is Pal with the brown suit and the white hair coming through the door behind him. And sat at the desk is the man with the large forehead and the swept-back long blonde hair, the creased forehead and the thick, heavy eyebrows. On his desk is a little bust of Napoleon. And there uh-huh. also seems to be a little Buddha statue as well and lots and lots of books. And there's another big roaring fire going on in here. Lots and lots of interesting details all around the room, like bookcases and frame paintings on the wall. The guy in green, the guy in brown with the white hair, they've arrived. The guy in the brown suit with the white hair is saying, We got your note, Brow. You said it was urgent. Brow, who's the guy, obviously, with the long blonde hair and the creased forehead and the heavy eyebrows, who sat at his desk looking at something through a magnifying glass, replies, Ah, yes. Whitey Winters and Cold Deck Carson, my two most worthy rivals in the underworld. Glad to see you. Whitey Winters, he's the guy with the white hair. 
says in the next panel. We're busy, Brow. Ordinarily, we wouldn't come, but... But you are fully aware that when Brow summons anyone, he means business, eh? This is no exception, gentlemen. I've made an extraordinary discovery. My exhaustive studies have revealed something that every member of the Underworld wants to know. The real identity of the doll man. The next panel, first panel of page four, if you're reeling along at home. Brow says, The doll man is the alter ego of his so-called friend. The man who calls himself Daryl Dane. Whitey Winters leans in and says, Can you prove it, Brow? Naturally. That's why I summoned you. As the leaders of Gangdom, we should all be present at the unmasking of our greatest enemy. Unmasking? He doesn't wear a mask. <laughs> a slow dissolve, then. That night at the City Opera, where Daryl Dane and Martha Roberts are enjoying the performance. Yes, they've got a box, which is nice. We can see a singer belting out on the, the stage, resplendent in her red dress and in the spotlight. Martha and Daryl look very smart. Daryl's wearing a bow tie. Martha looks exquisite as she says, The new coloratura is in wonderful voice. Hmm. Martha's got her opera glasses out for a closer look. In the next panel, she says, Those jewels she's wearing are stunning. To which Daryl says, Part of the publicity for her debut. It gives the audience something to look at as well as listen to. Interesting. Interesting attitude there from Daryl. Yes. Suddenly, Brow and what looks like Whitey Winters have stepped onto the stage. Brow looks resplendent, his sort of brown Inverness cape type coat type thing. He addresses the singer, interrupting her, saying, A magnificent performance, my dear. We hate to interrupt it, but we want those jewels. The singer screams, Eh! A robbery! Yep. Come on, guys, you like it when Peter does the lady voices. A handbag! <laughs> the caption for the next panel. One moment, Daryl Dane is seated in this box. Yes, we see Daryl, he says. The nerve of those crooks pulling a robbery before an audience of 2,000 people. And the caption for the final panel, page four. And the next instant, he has become the doll man. And once again, we don't see it, but he's shrunk down. He's now wearing his blue and red costume. And he's leaping down towards the stage, saying, I'll put a quick stop to this. He lands on the stage in the first panel of page five. The brow and his goons see him alight. And the brow says, Ah, the doll man. I rather expected you. You see... I knew Daryl Dane was attending the opera tonight. Carson has got pistol pulled, and he fires a couple of shots at Dollman in panel two, saying, This is your finish, Dollman. A couple of bang-bangs, and we see some of the, the lights at the, the edge of the stage popping as they're fired. Dollman quickly managed to unscrew one of the bulbs and hurls it at Carson in the next panel, saying, Here's a bulb you overlooked. You're in the limelight now. Ah! exclaims Carson as the bulb pops in his face. He's down on the ground in the next panel as Whitey Winters gets on the act by tipping forward a piece of the stage set towards Dollman and his colleague, actually. And Whitey's saying, Try this stage set on your head, Dollman. It'll crab your act. Dollman jumps out of the way, saying, Just cardboard and timber, but it might have given me a nasty knock. And he bounces up in the next panel, punching Whitey in the face, saying, Almost as bad as a concussion I'm giving you. Ugh! exclaims Whitey and goes down. In the first panel of page six, we can still see the crowd in the theatre watching what's going on as Dollman bounds towards the brow. Dollman saying, You're next, brow. Perhaps you didn't hear me the first time. I meant to imply that I know you are Daryl Dane. What, what did you say? Surprise, Dollman. I have further surprises in store for you. Witness. And with that, he pulls a handle and part of the floor of the stage disappears. Dollman plummets downwards saying, a trap door! He tricked me! And with an oof and a thud, he collides with the ground in the basement room that he's fallen into. He sits up in the next panel. Uh, I forgot the stage floors often have trap doors for special theatrical effects. Brow caught me off guard. He looks thoughtful in the next panel. But it's no wonder. How can he know the secret of my identity? Or 
Is he only guessing? I slow dissolve. A caption reads, This same question disturbs browse compatriots in crime. Yes, we're back in Brow's headquarters. He's lying back in his chair again, still wearing his big brown Inverness cape. There's a whole bunch of jewels on the desk in front of him. Whitey's there, smoking a cigarette, which he probably lit using his slide-o-matic. Brow is saying, A profitable evening, eh, gentlemen? We escaped with a fortune in jewellery, and at the same time established a doll man's identity beyond a doubt. Whitey says, I'm not so sure, Brow. And Carson has obviously recovered from having the stage set thrown at him. He leans against what looks like a kind of statue or something, and he's saying, Just because Daryl Dane happened to be in the opera house when a doll man showed up, that doesn't prove they're the same person. The brow steeples his fingers and replies, Didn't I predict a doll man would appear? How much proof do you need? My advice is to kill Daryl Dane at once. Whitey Winter says in the next panel, We're staking a lot in this, brow. It doesn't hurt to move cautiously. Very well, then. I'll convince you beyond any question. I'll send a note to Daryl Dane announcing that we intend to rob the Stern Galleries tonight. Obviously named after prolific writer Roger Stern. Mm -hmm. Brow looks very thoughtful and grotesque in the next panel as he says, I'll also warn him that if he tries to stop us, I'll reveal his secret to the world. When he fails to interfere with us in any way, even you will be convinced that he is really the doll man. Listeners, can you see where this story might go? (laughs) Hmm. Place your bets. The caption for the next panel. Browse note posies a terrible problem for Daryl Dane, alias the Doll Man. Yes, we see Daryl, full size, sat at home. There's a very cute model aeroplane in the foreground of this panel. Maybe it's from a souvenir from an adventure, we'll never know. Maybe he shrinks down and flies it. Wow, that'd be good. Yeah. You have to shrink really small, unless yeah. it's a, a forced perspective thing. Anyway, Daryl is thinking. If I call the police to warn them, Brow will keep his threat. Once my identity is known, I'll be a constant target for underworld assassins. Sooner or later, they'll get me. He gets a close-up, panel five, as he thinks. If I show up alone as the doll man, that'll be even worse. Yet I can't stand idly by while Brown and his cohorts commit another robbery. What can I do? Listeners, this is where we have the werewolf break moment. <laughs> what do you think doll man's going to do? What do you think he's going to do? The trouble here is, of course, you know, that, you know, um... If he shows up as Dom, if he shows up as Daryl Dane, they'll know, you know, oh, I don't know, phone, you know, um, oh. caption of the next panel then reads, Once more, a change to the doll man. Um, again, we don't see the change, how frustrating, but doll man bounds off thinking, Oliver Fenton, he's the answer, if you'll only agree to help me. And soon. Yes, doll man has nipped round to Oliver Fenton's house. Seems to be standing on a, a little... Table is that an ashtray and a slide and a slidomatic that he's standing next to? Yes, he's got his foot on the ashtray. Fortunately, it's clean. Mm. Mm. Maybe Oliver tipped it into the bin before Dollman arrived. (laughs) Dollman is saying it may be dangerous, but it's vitally important that you show up during the attempted robbery at the Stern Galleries tonight. I can't explain, but will you come? What have I got to lose? Says Oliver. Sure, I'll be there, Dollman. And a slow dissolve takes us to the top of page eight. Later outside the Stern Art Galleries. We see Carson coshing a poor guard the back of the head, saying, So far, so good. Oh, another Magnificent Seven quote. In the background, we can see Whitey Winters at work on the door. Carson says, Did you solve that lock, Whitey? Sure. It's a cinch. And we see Brow is there as well in the next panel, panel two. The Brow looking very much like David McCallum, to my eyes, in page eight, panel two. Yeah, if David McCallum played the Marvel villain, The Owl. Yes, pretty much so. Mm. They're making their way into the gallery. Brown and the leads, Whitey behind them. You can see lots of framed works of art on the wall. 
Whitey Wintle says, No sign of cops or the doll man either. Stop worrying, says the brow. You can be certain the doll man will not appear. And then we see a small figure in the next panel perched on the edge of one of the picture frames and he says, Just how certain are you? It's Dollman. Brow exclaims, It's him! In the next panel, Dollman has leapt off the picture frame and he's landing feet first in poor Carson's face, taking him out. As this goes on, the Brow exclaims, Impossible! Even the Dollman can't be this reckless of his personal safety. And in panel 5, Dollman is now whirling himself around the guardrail that prevents the punters from getting too close to the paintings, spinning round and round, as a frustrated Whitey Winters starts firing on him. Bam, bam, bam. Whitey swears. Ah, he keeps spinning around so I can't hit him. Oof. But I can hit you, says Dollman, who has used his momentum to come whirling off the guardrail to kick Whitey square in the stomach. At least I hope it's the stomach. Final <laughs> panel of page 8. The brow looking very malevolent indeed as he pulls a pistol, points it and says, Stop, doll man. I meant what I said. If you don't leave at once, everybody will know that you're really Daryl Dane. In the first panel of page nine, doll man rushes over and opens the door to the room, saying, You still believe that, eh, brow? I brought a friend of mine along just to show you how wrong you are. As the door opens, a man in a blue suit enters the room. The brow exclaims, No, it can't be. In the panel two, we get a shot of what looks like Daryl Dane. The brow's sweating and thinks, He's Daryl Dane. Then, then he can't be the doll man. I don't understand it, but I must be wrong. Quickly, Brow seizes his chance. Brow leaps forward and grabs this newcomer from behind by the throat. Still with his pistol in hand, he says, I'm leaving. Don't try to stop me, or Mr. Dane will get a bullet through his head. Dollman thinks, Brow moved too fast that time. And he says, All right, you win. Brow takes his exit. And soon? See that. Dollman is holding a pistol at Carson and Winters, saying, Brow's gone, but at least I've got you two. To which Carson says, That dirty double-crosser. It's all his fault we're in this mess. And then Whitey says in the next panel, He had a crazy idea that you were Daryl Dane. If you promise to give us a break with the cops, I'll show you where to find Brow. To which Dollman says, That's a deal, Whitey. Gosh, honour among thieves, eh? A slow dissolve. Meanwhile? Yes, we see, because we know it's Oliver Fenton. Oliver's been tied to a chair by the brow, standing behind him, looking very thoughtful and saying, My theory can't be wrong. There's only one possible explanation. You're not Daryl Dane. He gets his pistol, points it right at the side of Oliver's head, saying, What is your name? Tell me or I'll... Don't shoot! I'm Oliver Fenton, an engineer. I I only showed up at the art gallery because the doll man asked me to. Quickly, Oliver Fenton relates the whole story. A spectacularly moody shot of the brow still standing with his gun at Oliver's head as the brow thinks, This proves I'm right. The doll man is Daryl Dane. And he starts to think in the next panel, The doll man's interfered with me for the last time. In a few hours the whole underworld will know his secret and Daryl Dane's life won't be worth a nickel. But then from outside we hear the... Whee! The siren of a police car outside. The brow crosses to a window in panel three. Looks out, sees police cars arriving. Police officers leaping from the vehicles. The brow exclaims, What's this? Cops! He makes for the door in the next panel, saying, Whitey and Cold Deck must have squealed. But I'll get out the back way and... <gasps> he cuts off because through an open door, leaps Dollman, saying, We meet again, Brow. Brow grabs a nearby chair, hurls it at Dollman in the next panel, saying, You can't stop me, Dollman. Dollman catches it, saying... You've never learned the art of fighting with furniture. This is how it's done. With that and a crash, he hurls the chair back at the brow, catching him in the stomach. 
First panel of page 11, the brow's not to be stopped. He makes for an open window, firing back into the room, saying, That's your last trick, doll man. I'm leaving to reveal a secret that seals your doom. Drops to the ground in an alleyway in the next panel, saying, Because I know that man Fenton is just Daryl Dane's double. Doll man rushing after him thinks, Then I didn't fool him after all. Doll man leaps out the window himself in the next panel, following after the brow, thinking, But I can't let him escape, even if catching him is the last thing I'll ever do. Brow runs out of the alleyway to be greeted by a police car and a couple of officers. One of the policemen shouts, Halt! But he keeps going, prompting the policeman to shout, I warned you! And then there are a couple of gunshots. Bang, bang. And the brow is struck. He cries, Ah! Let's go of his own gun. Collides with a trash can. Take a drink. And a crate falls to the ground. The next panel, Dollman and one of the policemen walk up to him. Policeman says, He shot at me. I, I had to finish him. Down on the ground, with only Dollman able to hear him, the brow says, The Dollman is really... Ah! Uh. expires. The policeman crouches down next to the brow in the next panel, saying, He's dead. He was trying to say something about you, doll man. Any idea what he meant? Uh, no idea at all, officer. Then he thinks. Brown died without being able to tell my secret. I'm safe, after all. A slow dissolve. Later. Daryl and Martha are back in Daryl's swish apartment. Martha looks stunning, it must be said. And Daryl is saying. Oliver Fenton's gone to Central America on a new highway project. We won't be hearing from him for some time which Martha says, At least I'll know which of you is which. Having a double is confusing, even though he did help save your life. And that is us reached the, the end. end. So not another doll man, but another Daryl Dane. Yes. Yay. Sort of. And he looked a bit like him. Yeah. Nice we, <laughs> nice we twist on the legacy aspect there, just to, just to mix things up a yes, little bit. Yes, it's there. the biggest twist on legacy that we'll probably have <laughs> until we get to Golden Eagle. That was all very interesting. I mean, you could obviously guess miles in advance what Dollman's plan was going to be. Yeah. I find that fascinating, comparing that with the Phantom Lady story, because this was 11 pages. If they had 11 pages of that Phantom Lady story, it would have really flowed, whereas this yes. felt almost as if it was maybe slightly too little story for the 11 pages. Yeah, I know what you mean. It had more pages, but it seemed to have lesser panels in each of these pages. It didn't feel as yeah. cramped. But I mean, I, I really liked the artwork. Mm. Yeah, it's I lovely. I to say. Mm-hmm. The Brow is obviously a bad man, but I kind of feel a bit sorry for him being shot and killed without a, <laughs> a proper trial. Well, you know, know. Did he kill anyone or was he? We don't really know. We just know well, he's he one a, of. He's a gang boss. So we just know he was does. one of the big three. Yeah. Cold Deck Carson, Whitey Winters, superb. Love the names. And Brow. Actually, I'm just thinking about it. See that uh, panel where Whitey is swearing and it's all the, the asterisks and the, the hashtags and the information yes. marks and the X's? Caused us so much yeah. hilarity and might make it into the outtakes, I hope. <laughs> That, I think that's the first time, or the earliest example I've seen of that being used for swearing. Yeah, I can't think of us seeing it too often. In any, I don't think we've had it in anything we've done yet, to be no, honest. No. It's the sort of thing I remember seeing most often in Marvel comics in the 80s. Yeah. Uh-huh. Usually mm-hmm. from Wolverine or Punisher or someone. Yeah. Uh-huh. But it's, yeah, you're right. It's it's the first time I can think of. Definitely, de- I'm sure it's the first time we've seen it at all. Uh-huh. Fascinating. Mm. Mm. So Mr. Fenton... Try to kill himself because he felt bad about what happened, and by sheer coincidence, he looked like our hero, almost mm-hmm. you know identical to our hero. That's that's unusual. Could he have been a parallel universe duplicate? Gasp! I don't know. I don't know. In the same way that you know, in the CW, Ray Palmer looks the same as one of the Supermen. I don't know. In our DC comic, when we write that, we will definitely make that a thing. Could they have been related, and you know, mm. distantly related, and it was kind of genetic throwbacks? You know, just you know, a couple of grandparents back or cousins back or something. Mm-hmm. Or, it's interesting to think about. 
I don't have too much to say because out of the stories we've done today, it's definitely the most straightforward. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And yet this is the most recent one. Yes. You know, storytelling seems to have moved on, but uh, it's it's not childish. That's not the word I want to say. It's, it is very simplistic. and Straightforward is yeah. not a bad thing. Really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very predictable. That was the... Yeah. It's still hugely entertaining. It is frustrating that we don't get to see Dollman change. And it's frustrating we don't see Dollman and Oliver standing by as Dollman uses a fire hydrant to take out Whitey and, <laughs> and the Brow and Codet Carson because obviously that scene mm. didn't happen either. No. Ah, it's, of course mm-hmm. it's interesting. It's, you know, it's one of these things that if you think about it, it raises more questions than the story answers, but at the same time, the story doesn't really need to answer them. What if, though, Oliver Fenton had said no, he didn't want to help him? Because Oliver was putting himself at great risk there, walking in. He could have been shot at any time mm-hmm. and being Very captured true. by by the brow who, you know, then threatens them. Mm-hmm. And of course, Oliver then grasses Dollman up in, in caves. Yes. So that he's not quite as noble as, as our hero. He's probably just a, well, a regular guy who's been caught in it. That's it. He's, of it all, he's you know? not, you know, cut out for the superhero malarkey, yeah. no. He's Daryl Dane's double, but he doesn't have the same heroic qualities. No. Actually, and I missed the fact, I missed the detail there. It was actually a, a dustbin when the brow jumped out of the window. So that's two drinks. So you take another take, drink now. You could take that's for fine. that one. We did. A, mm. I don't think we had a single full moon in this entire episode. That's <gasps> disappointing. No, no, we did. Yes. That's disappointing, isn't it, listeners? Maybe there's only DC that do full moons. Maybe it's not quality comics. Well, there was loads of them in that mouthpiece story. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. The other yeah. week. Mm-hmm. I forgot quite how many. I suppose I that made me up for it. There were more panels of full moons than there were of actually mouthpiece <laughs> himself, probably. Yes. Well, then, anything else to, to add? Not for this story, but this was one of several stories I had in contention for covering in this episode. There's another actual dollman in Quality Comics who was in Feature Comics 57 in a story called The Japanese Dollman. But it's incredibly racist, so we right. decided not to cover it. Sure. No, we just boycotted that one completely, but I'm just making you aware of it, folks. Of course. If you want to check it out yourself, feel free to. As I said, these are all public domain comics and they are available from various sites. So go and check that out. There's another one that I thought was interestingly titled called Black Atom from Future Comics 65. But it's not about anyone that shrinks down, unfortunately. It's an evil magician called the Black Atom. Because that would have been incredible. We certainly would have covered that if that had been oh, a yeah. Dollman against an atom. Yes, very much so. There's one more I was going to mention, and that is when Dollman goes up against a group of villains in Dollman issue 36, and they are called the Secret Six. Well then. And of course, in the 60s, and indeed brought back in Action Comics Weekly, mm. there is a DC group of heroes called the Secret Six. Yep. Not so much heroes, more like plain clothes, Mission Impossible style experts who later get cybernetic attachments, don't they? In the Action Comics Weekly yeah, series. Yeah, and I think in the Action Comics story they reveal who Mockingbird is, don't they? Yes, Mockingbird. Spoilers, was, spoilers. Mockingbird was the secret leader of them all who yeah. was rumoured to be one of them. Yeah. Was Mockingbird one of them? Oh, dig out your copy of Action Comics Weekly to find out. Yeah, and of course then the team was sort of revived as a sort of very Suicide Squad-esque. Mm, mm-hmm. I Ross actually was telling me how good, when I was speaking to him another week, he was telling me how good the, the, was it the Gail Simone yes. Secret Six was, and I should totally check that out at some point. It kicked off in the miniseries uh, Villains United. Yeah. And then, of course, it's it's gone forward from that. But it's uh-huh. very Suicide Squad inspired, yes, yeah. with Catman and Deadshot and yeah. uh, all that sort of I can see one trade yeah. paperback on a shelf to my left. Hmm. I'll get it eventually, maybe. So yes, that Secret Six was not the first group of villains called the Secret Six. Indeed. Uh-huh. 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 Do you see? Do you see? <laughs> yeah, I got. I have to say, like the artwork in, in that Dolman story was gorgeous. It really was. Like the, the the panels on rescuing Oliver and just the detailing in it all. It was the the quality and no you know, pun intended of the artwork across all these stories we've done the last few weeks has mm-hmm. been stunning. Yeah. So listeners. 
That concludes our preamble to the 1973 Just League Justice Society team-up, which, as we said, brings some of these quality comics characters to the pages of DC Comics. But you're going to hate us for this. We're not doing that next week. No, next week we've got a very special episode Something for else you. lined up. Uh-huh. All goes well. It's a very special date. Yep. Mark your calendars. We shall leave it at that. Mm-hmm. The Freedom Fighters, as they will become, will join us in a fortnight or so. But we'll see you for something else next week. Just to interrupt things. Indeed. Just for a laugh. Yes. So what are your thoughts on all these stories? What are your thoughts on the Freedom Fighters in general? What are your thoughts on us breaking up the format for next week? Write in and let us know. You can email us at theearth2podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you follow us on social media because I'll be putting up all the pages for these stories because, as I said, they are all in the public domain, ready for you to see. On Facebook and Instagram, we're at the Earth 2 Podcast and on Twitter, because that's what we're still calling it, we're at podcast underscore Earth 2. And it's the number two for all our social media. It's been so long since we've done this. What am I supposed to say now? Yes, <laughs> I'm supposed to say, if you're feeling generous, you go to whatever it is you receive, your podcast, give us a positive review. Or if you want to go to a link tree and find a coffee page and bung Peter the price for beverage, that'd be smashing. I'm all talked out because I recorded four episodes of Power of Three with Kenny last night and we've just done these three stories today. I'm uh, throaty as heck. Mm. So I'm going to have a little rest before we record next week's episode. Ah. Good. There you go, yes. Ah, yes. Okay. So as we say, we'll generate some more hype though because we're approaching the JLA JC team up 1973. Mm-hmm. It's probably a safe point to tell you that a couple of people who helped us out during the summer with, mm-hmm. with some voices are coming back to help us out. All Yippee. being well. Cool. And we might even have some guest voices next week as well. What are we doing next week? You'll have to find out. Time will tell. It always does. On that bombshell. I've been Peter. And I've been David. Take care. We'll see you soon on The The Earth Earth 2 Podcast. Transmatter cube activated. Return coordinates set for Earth Prime. Whitey is trying to fire on him. He swears and says, Got you. <laughs> you have to do like a, a good clean edit of that for our two podcast nights. Tell me or I'll sorry, I'm gonna cough. Tell me or I'll cough. <laughs> I'll cough right in your hair. Your bro creamed hair. Do you want a slide of medic?